podcast as part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to the 49ers Unrestricted Podcast, home of the most correct 49ers takes. I'm Timmy Gibson, here with my co-host... Daniel Bigelow. Hello, good morning, happy June. Yeah, happy June 1st, start of the next stage of the NFL League year. Some contract hits are now officially on the books, means some guys might be getting moved easier. It's a fun, it's a fun, fun time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We're going to dive into some 49ers news. Daniel and I are going to talk a little bit about our favorite 49ers memories from over the years, over our years as 49ers fans. And then we're going to wrap up by previewing the next four games of the 2021 schedule from where we left off last week. So I say we dive right in. Daniel, you want to talk a little breaking news? I know there hasn't been anything huge besides a couple of stories, but anything you want to lead off with as we get into the recent 49ers news? Yeah, unfortunately, Timmy and I were just talking last episode about our good friend Marquise Lee, the veteran wide receivers wide receiver that the Niners added to the roster for a brief stint, and he was released either the day of us publishing the podcast. So I think he was gone before we published the podcast. Yeah, and by Marquise, um, Marquise Lee know. gone, but not forgotten. I didn't say he was going to be something crazy this year, so I'm glad I don't have to walk back any kind of crazy statement. But, you know, I said, yeah, I think he'll make the 53-man roster. More like he won't make it to camp. Yeah, not great. Um, I think he failed. I think, did he fail a physical or something? It was it was a quick, like, 12 hours on the team for Marquise Lee. Yeah, he was in and out. Does he retire as a 49er? Piece, another piece of sad news is we lost good friend Jeff Wilson for what looks like to be the entire season. It looks like he has a chance to come back late season, but I, it's, I, everything I've read about, he has a meniscus injury, and everything I've seen about those is the timeline the 49ers have given is the most optimistic, and the 49ers of recent have not been hitting optimistic injury timelines, I would say. That is very correct. Yeah, sad to see him down, um, but that you can't help not be excited for whether it's Trey Sermon's role being different, whether Elijah Mitchell actually gets to make the team as a running back and, and actually get some snaps. Um, yeah, so you and I were texting about this a bit, and I think we disagree. Who do you think benefits the most from Jeff Wilson being out for at least the first half of the season? Because Jeff Wilson, if fans don't know, was more of a practice squad guy. He would get called up an injury, but he always played great when he did make it onto the field. But for a couple of years, he's been on and off the practice squad, come in, had a couple great plays back to the practice squad. Who do you see benefiting more in the 49ers backfield from the Jeff Wilson absence? I know when we were texting, you had said you don't think Trey Sermon's role will be affected that much, and I half agree with that. I think that he has his role, and it's not going to be affected a whole lot, but I do think he'll get more opportunity. I do think that Wilson was was slated to be the number two, maybe two and a half. I don't know exactly how that was going to work with him and Sermon, Um, but I was going to say he was going to be the primary or primary-ish backup partnered with Trey Sermon. So I think Sermon will steal some of those snaps, but now I think there's a special, this is a battle you want to watch in camp and it's between Jamichael Hasty and Elijah Mitchell. Those are kind of the only two, those are the only two running I, backs. 
I would say Wayne Gallman is worth a look as well in that camp battle. He was he put up over four yards of carry on the Giants last season. I agree with you. I think it's probably Jermichael Hasty or Elijah Mitchell, but Wayne Gallman is also somebody to keep an eye on. I've seen reports where I think it was before they drafted Trey Sermon. So, you know, a lot of things have changed since then, but Jermichael Hasty was pretty solidified as the number three guy. So that's behind Mostert and Wilson. Um, and maybe that was even before when Gallman was brought in. So if that's true, then that post is just irrelevant. But yeah, I think that it could be potentially any one of the three of Hasty, Mitchell, or Gallman actually making the team when they weren't going to and seeing their roles get bigger. So I'm excited for camp and to see where their shares are, what teams they're practicing with. So I'm excited for just those three guys to see how they get used. I'm excited as well. I think I, I think I'm a little less, I think you're right. I think Sermon gets more work, but I have always viewed Sermon as more of a power runner and a little different type of runner than what the 49ers have done with Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Wilson, I've always seen more to come in when after Mostert and do Mostert things. Whereas I saw Sermon coming in to kind of do different types of things. And so that's kind of where I don't know if I see Sermon's role increasing, but I see Mitchell's role increasing because I think he was brought in to do the same kind of things that guys like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson were doing. So I think Sermon is going to probably get more work, but still be used in whatever the specific vision Kyle Shanahan had for him was. Whereas Elijah Mitchell might be able to come in and be the Mostert backup. Like I'm, I don't, for some reason, I have a hard time seeing Trey Sermon as Raheem Mostert's backup. I see him more as a compliment and as a different type of player. But if Mostert gets injured, I think those were I think that work would have gone to Jeff Wilson. And now I think it might go to whoever wins that battle of three guys we we're talking about. Sermon's just built different, man. Um, Timmy, who would you compare maybe the partnership, we'll say, of Mostert and Sermon? What running backs, what duo would you pair, uh, compare them to right now? Gosh, I don't know if this duo is still together, but I'm blanking on the second name, but, and this is the most optimistic comparison I can come up with, but I'm thinking Alvin Kamara and who was with him most recently? Murray. Murray. Yeah. Alvin Kamara has been paired with a couple of Alvin Kamara has made my favorite player to watch in the NFL. He's a smaller shifty guy, makes guys miss. He's fast. Not saying Raheem Mostert is, is Alvin Kamara, but I think that is a good comparison where the Trey Sermon is going to come in more to do. Gosh, who was it again? Can you say that name one more time? Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray. Perfect. Thank you. Latavius Murray was coming in to do a little more power running, whereas Kamara was the main guy, but getting more passing work, more stuff like that. That's, that's the dream I see. Mostert kind of is still the lead guy, but Sermon is going to come in to bash some heads. I don't know if bash mm-hmm. some heads, but just run people over. Yeah, and I, I like the comparison because Kamara definitely was much more the pass catching down, and I think that Mostert will still probably be that over Sermon. I'm not sure. We'll see you know, who gets those pass catches, but um I, I you know what a comparison i like that i wish that the duo was like that um especially yeah, if it was a kamara mark ingram kind of more in his prime role yeah that's I that's really the like. dream i think a couple more news things to hit on before we get into the meat of this episode um we mentioned on our last episode that julio jones to the 49ers buzz was going on that buzz has died down he's getting more buzz to some other teams but julio jones has not been traded so Ooh. keep an eye on that 
we also have, I saw some tweets, I think it was David Lombardi tweeting about, and there's some buzz around Zach Ertz, potentially tight end, potentially being traded from the Eagles. Um, people are saying the 49ers could be a good landing spot for him. I say don't mess with it. I like Zach Ertz. He was a great player, but he hasn't been in his prime, and I think we can get somebody just as good without having to trade for them. I don't know. Any you thoughts? Mean, you mean like Delaney Walker? Exactly. That's where we're going next. Tight end, former 49ers tight end Delaney Walker is working out with the 49ers today. We're recording Wednesday, June 2nd. He's working out later today, so keep an eye on that. He might be signed. He might not be signed by the time this episode releases, but Delaney Walker, I think... dropped by the time we release this episode. Yeah, he might be signed and dropped by the time we release. But yeah, I think Delaney Walker is a great player. It's always fun to have somebody return to the 49ers and getting a second tight end option to line up across from Kittle is not is not bad at all and I I support that and I think Delaney Walker would be would be fun so I'm all in on that um any other the all else I got the 49ers released veteran quarterback Josh Johnson that's not a surprise we talked last week about how the 49ers were carrying way too many quarterbacks into camp so Josh Johnson was the one to go which now leaves the 49ers quarterback room as Jimmy Garoppolo Trey Lance Nate Sudfeld and Josh Rosen should be interesting to see who of Rosen or Sudfeld gets on the stays on the roster. The 49ers have shown they want to carry three QBs. But I was just thinking to myself, no way does Sudfeld make the team. I agree. I think I don't think either of those guys are markedly different. And I think Rosen, if like you're gonna want to flip one of them into an asset, like Rosen has the fact that he was a top ten pick. Like yeah. that's always gonna be going to be associated with him. Um, Rosen literally just has the fact that he's a much more known comparatively take this comparatively. He's a much more known name than Nate Sudfeld. Like the majority sure. of the NFL, maybe their own players don't know who Nate is. He's bounced around. I think he was drafted by the Eagles and he's floated around since yeah. Rosen, you know, much, much higher draft stock, much higher draft stock, but has not played to that. But still it's like, yeah, it was a former first round pick. Like, you know, Dwayne Haskins still has the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think Rosen, I've always said, if Rosen winds up on in the right situation with a team that wants to work with him and and he wants to work with that team, which has always been something people questioned about Josh Rosen, I, I think he could be a serviceable NFL quarterback. Yeah, or one of those Canadian teams. Yeah. Um, and then finally, this just makes me excited. I saw some news the other day that OTAs are happening. These are the voluntary off-season workouts. Um, some players make the decision totally in their rights to not show up to these workouts. The NFLPA usually encourages that, actually. It's kind of a, a big bargaining chip they hold. But this season, every single healthy 49er was at the workouts. And I'm not trying to say, like I say, I think it's fully within players' rights to not go. But I think it's hard to not get excited when you see the whole team showing up for these voluntary workouts and just think, like, this is a team that wants to get after it this year. And so that made me excited. Totally. And what's fun is, you know, I love this, the first day of OTAs when, when it started, what was the first report you saw? Boom. Aaron Rodgers is not at OTAs, as you said, completely optional, but Aaron Rodgers usually is at OTAs. And so that's the only reason people cared why he wasn't there with his contract disputes, with him wanting out with him, with the green Bay Packers, not wanting to trade him. It's just fun drama, but and players who don't show up to OTAs, it's not like they don't care about football. They don't want to win. But when you get an entire roster who's like, hey, every single dude who could even make this team is committed this much and wants to be here, and we want extra time 
to practice together, to grow together and build that fire as a 49ers fan, that just gets you excited. If yeah. I was a Jets fan and the entire Jets team showed up, I'd be, I'd be pumped. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just getting excited for the season, excited for some training camp battles. And with that, I think that wraps up our breaking news and gets into, I'm excited to talk about this, Daniel. We're going to look back on some of like our favorite memories, our most significant memories from our time as 49ers fans. Um, just for reference, Daniel and I are both, are we millennials? Are we Gen Z? We're both born in the late nineties, which means at least for me, my favorite memories are not the Bill Walsh. I don't have any Joe Montana memories. So if you're wondering how are they talking about the best 49ers memories and not mentioning Joe Montana and Steve Young, this is why we weren't alive. See, that's the thing. We didn't quite determine what year. So I definitely have a few of those. Perfect. And they're all from YouTube or my dad telling the story because he watched the game. And then never mind. Forget what I just said. No, you're good. If I can get my dad or some of his friends amped up about telling the story, so much better than YouTube. They paint such a good picture. That's true. All right. So we will have so, so that's why I don't have any Joe Montana moments, if you're wondering. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Daniel, you want to sit kick it off with your favorite 49ers memory? When I started actually thinking about my my favorites, my favorites, I realized. I love when the Niners play the Saints. Hmm. And sure, the majority of you are thinking of 2019 George Kittle's 39-yard catch, which was, I think, like a two-yard dump. And he runs the rest of the field with two guys had to face mask him to take him down. His back. Some dude is not just face masking him. He's trying to rip the face mask off George Kittle's helmet. Yeah. He's got a dude on his back. He's got a dude somewhere else on his torso. I mean, it took three, almost four dudes to bring him down. I don't know if I, any of our listeners know what Red Bubble is, but I certainly have multiple stickers from Red Bubble of George Kittle with three Saints players attached to his body. That was an incredible, incredible play just the other year, um, our last full season. But the first play that I thought of, I don't know even how this is the first play I thought of, was in 2012 in the playoffs. I don't know if it was the NFC championship. I'd have to go back and look. It might've been the game before that, but it was Alex Smith to Vernon Davis. Oh yeah. Game winning touchdown. The Davis post. The Davis post. And so Vernon Davis has always been a favorite player of mine. I met him in his rookie year when I was in like fourth grade, man. And if you remember back then 49ers fans, he was a pretty hot dude. Like his temper was flaming. He did not carry himself in the way that he does now. Uh, Mike Singletary really just got into him and they had a great, but tough relationship. Uh, Jim Harbaugh then followed that up and really got into him. So some of you might've been like, uh, it was Jim. It was him and Mike who I think started it. I don't think they gelled a whole lot, but Mike really, really was on him. Jim was kind of like, Hey, I'm going to be on you, but I'm going to do it in a different kind of way. It was just iconic play, game-winning touchdown. I'm pretty sure that's the play. Vernon Davis just goes right over to Jim and is just balling. And it was just an incredible play. And I'm a big Vernon Davis fan, big Alex Smith with the Niners fan. So that was just iconic. Yeah, I remember that. That's a good one. My uh, my personal favorite, the memory, if you say, like, when you think of the 49ers, what's the first, like, your favorite thing you remember watching? For me, it's not even a question. It's the next year, 
in the playoffs against the Packers, not even a specific play, but just calling Kaepernick running all over the Packers in the playoffs. Nobody can stop him. I think he might still have the record for like longest run by a quarterback in the playoffs from one of the ones in that game. I just, it's one of the most iconic games you'll ever see. There's snow everywhere, which just makes any football memory better. And Kaepernick, who's from Wisconsin, just goes in and rips the heart out of these Packers fans running all over them. And when you tell me, like, what do you think of when you think of the 49ers? That's the first thing that comes into my head is that game. Love that. And then I'll hop into my second one real fast because it's very similar. It's also against the Packers from the 2019 NFL, 2020, 2019-2020 NFL playoffs in the NFC Championship game when Raheem Mostert ran all over the Packers, which I don't know. I don't know what it is about running all over the Packers, but I love it. And those memories just – I mean, we whooped the Packers before in that season too, but it was just one of those games where it was this playoff game – was the NFC championship and we just came in and Raheem Mostert, just like Colin Kaepernick did, just kind of ripped the heart out of the Packers, just running all over them. Nobody could stop them. They couldn't compete. Those are my two, those two games against the Packers for me. That's fun. You had two against the Packers. I had two against the Saints. Nice. What else, what else do you have on your list, Daniel? Uh, so going back to what I said before, and I can't, I couldn't pick just one, but some of Steve Young's crazy runs, some of his iconic runs and he's not as much of a when a quarterback runs it's different than a running back even for Lamar Jackson like guys like him are I call it carving up the field um they're not just sprint straight ahead guys except for Danny Dimes is one play when he tripped and Steve Young just had the ability to fake throws, catch defenders, and just make them bite on that fake. And so he'd create space. And just the way that he would literally maneuver up the field was unreal to me. So watching any time Steve Young ran with the ball was amazing. Um, any 49ers fans, whether you are alive for it or not, you've seen the catch. And that is obviously just one of the most iconic plays as a 49ers yeah. fan. So that's when I think of. I love the statues that they have at Levi's Stadium of the catch. Um, I think my favorite, like, old 49ers story is the Joe Montana. Was it a Super Bowl with the John Candy story? You know what I'm talking about? They're out in the mm-hmm. huddle. They're down. And it's – I don't remember what Super Bowl it was, but it's Joe Mont- – like, everyone's like, you know, they're super stressed. I think it's a Super Bowl. They're like so. – they're about to make this big comeback drive. Joe Montana just casually strolls out, like, turns to somebody else in the huddle and goes, is that John Candy over there in the stands? Like, he was just so calm, so collected. It's hard to not just get uh, – it's just a great story. A few more memories for my time with my own eyes. Um his whole his whole career patrick willis is a highlight himself oh yeah um kind of just watching him throughout his whole year i think this was the first year i was just into knowing everyone on the team i want to say it's 2007 i could be wrong i think i'm off um i wanted to know everyone on the team i wanted to watch a lot of young guys and see how they played and really dive into football and he had 174 tackles his rookie year he's so good so watching him in his rookie year was unbelievable. But in 2009, he had a pick six. I think it was against the Seahawks. 
and it was just crazy. I know a couple of years later, Navarro Bowman had a similar one against the Falcons. Yeah. Because watching these two massive, strong linebackers get a pick six, and the entire team is so hyped, everyone is running down the field to block for them. But I'm pretty convinced they didn't even need blockers. They were just about ready to truck anyone in the way. Those are iconic. And then uh, if you guys remember Chris Borland, Chris Borland was a linebacker who played one year with the Niners. He had, I think, 92 tackles in his rookie year. He was incredible. He was, in my mind, the guy who was going to replace Patrick Willis just in the linebacker squad. He retired after after one year, year. He was very concerned with his mental health and did not want – he was exposed to the concussions that happened on football, and he was freaked out. And I blame him none. Got to respect (laughs) None whatsoever. Um, He got in, made some money, experienced his dream, and, you know, he – Showed he could uh, do it. Showed he could do it. Showed he could excel. Um, And I was going to say – I was gonna say I was gonna say he tapped out in a respectful way, but it's not even tapping out. I mean, that is it's so understandable, and I, I fully understand why he did it. Yeah. My last play, and then I want to hear some of yours, Timmy, is Nick Bosa sacking Baker Mayfield and then hitting the flag celebration. Oh yeah. Not much more got me fired up than that. That was awesome. Bringing back the old college rivalry from when Baker hit the Ohio State with the flag plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, yeah, there's going to be, I hope we can have in like five years, a lot more Nick Bosa memories. That's for sure. Um, my favorite, I have one more just game. I think we talked about this maybe in the last episode, but this game will just always be vividly in my, in my memory as one of my favorites, which was Nick Mullins's debut against the Raiders on Thursday night football for context. This is the last game the 49ers are ever going to play against the Oakland Raiders. Cause they're about to go to Las Vegas. Yep. We've been terrible all season. Jimmy tore his ACL. Like it's a lost season, but it's Thursday night football. I turn it on and I see this quarterback who I'd only heard of. Cause I'd been to one 49ers preseason game that year just absolutely dominate and just eviscerate the Raiders for a win on Thursday night football come out. He gets verified on Twitter, like two thirds of the way through the game because nobody had heard of him. And he's just is so happy. And I just, it was such a bad 49ers season. And it was just so fun to walk out of it with this great, this one game against a low former local rival. The last time they were ever going to play as local teams and just gut them on national tell on a primetime game on Thursday night. That game will always stand out in my memory. If you guys don't know already, Timmy is a huge Nick Mullins fan. Really so it doesn't surprise me at all that that was one of his favorite highlights. I think I was actually thinking that might be. I'm I'm sad Nick Mullins is gone and I I fully believe that if anyone ever gives Nick Mullins a chance to like be a full-time starting quarterback, he will be like tolerably good. He could do it. And then I have two more um, I have, this is a draft moment. John Lynch hit his first draft as general manager, screwing over the Chicago bears with a trade from the number two pick to the number three pick. So if you don't remember this, the 49ers had the number two overall pick and the bears had the number three overall pick. And John Lynch must've told the bears that for some, that the 49ers wanted Mitch Trubisky, which should have been a red flag. Cause he was Mitch Trubisky and the 49ers gave up the, they got the number three pick from the bears. So they gave up the number two pick for the number three pick in that same year. 
the number the 67th overall pick, so a third rounder, a fourth rounder, and then a 2018 third rounder. And then the 49ers turned around. The, the Bears picked Mitch Trubisky, which we all know how that turned out. And the 49ers, unfortunately, this is where their trade goes bad. We picked Solomon Thomas from Stanford, who was who was fine, but was not a number three overall pick. And that draft will always be marred for the Bears that Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes went later in the draft. I would say the same thing about the 49ers. I think still have to hold on to that. We could have used one of those guys, obviously, but that yes. trade was iconic. And then, Daniel, my final favorite 49ers memory, I just wrote down Jim Harbaugh. And I have, for notes, I have general vibe. I just loved Jim Harbaugh's vibe. This You have to understand, like, my 49ers fandom, I liked the team, but I didn't become a real 49ers fan until, like, 2011, 2012, until the Jim Harbaugh years. Yeah. That was when – so I just – this guy was my coach, and I loved him so much, Daniel. I Everything about him, I have general vibe, just the way he was on the sidelines. He's just a hilarious dude. He's a great coach. He just coached hard. He was into it. I don't know if you remember this, Daniel, but he started wearing cleats like halfway. Like he's, I think he might still wear cleats on the sideline. Do you remember the reason why he started wearing cleats? I don't remember the reason why. I just, I just remember seeing when he did it because he would, he would run up and down the field more than most coaches I've ever seen. Yeah. And I love that about him. Like, that's awesome. I get a coach who's, you know, Frank Gore is going down the field. He's going with him. And it's like, yeah. I've only seen Sean McVay do that. And Sean McVay has a quality control coach to make sure he doesn't go on the field. Jim needed yeah. one of them. So I, this might be urban legend, but the way I have it in my mind is Jim Harbaugh started wearing cleats because he once tried to charge onto the field to fight a player on an opposing team and slipped. So he started wearing cleats so that if that happened again, he would not slip. That's Wow. So that's one of my favorite Jim Harbaugh memories when he got in a fight with the Lions head coach, who I think was Jim Schwartz at the time. Cause I think, I think Schwartz started the fight cause they shook hands and Jim Harbaugh like gripped his hand too strongly or something. That was an iconic moment. I do um, remember that being a thing. I have, ca- I have just his khakis in general, Daniel, you probably know this from growing up in the Bay area, but to any listeners, not like into these 49ers years, Jim Harbaugh's khakis were legendary status. There were new, like I remember reading news articles about like where he buys his khakis and why he still buys ones with pleats and how his wife has tried to convince him to not wear pleated khakis anymore. It was a whole thing. And I just, yeah, just Jim Harbaugh in general. Those are the teams I fell in love with. He made a bad couple bad decisions in that Super Bowl, but you can't, you can't blame. It's hard to not like a coach who leaves his heart out on the field. And to fully quantify my love for Jim Harbaugh, this is going to get me some some digs from the 49ers fan base. If you called, if I was running the 49ers and you called me up and said, hey, Jim wants to come back and coach the 49ers, I would, and Kyle, currently we have maybe the best offensive mind in the NFL as our head coach, taking the team to a Super Bowl. He's got years ahead of him. He's building his team. I love Kyle Shanahan. Logically, I want Kyle Shanahan to be the 49ers head coach. Emotionally, I would have a hard time not bringing back Jim Harbaugh if he wanted the job. That's how much I love Jim Harbaugh. And I would never do it because I know it's the wrong decision, but I just love that guy so much. What do you think, listeners? Do we even let Timmy stay on this podcast? Yeah, do I get to still have a podcast? I said I wouldn't do it. No, I'm I'm teasing you. I think (laughs) if for some reason Kyle was gone and it was like, hey, Jim's like, I'll come back. It was like, "Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Do it. And just the way he left was was not was not fair to him after we, his, his I won't say we as the 49ers did him wrong, but it certainly was a bummer the way the relationship ended 
Um, he was an incredible coach for us and man, he was fiery. And I love that in a coach. Yeah, it's I great to some, see. I think some fans, some players even maybe aren't a huge fan of that, but I mean, Vernon Davis, I watched an interview, multiple interviews with him and he would, he would always talk about how Jim Harbaugh would go to war for you. You knew yeah. that your head coach had your back, no matter what he would literally go to war for you. If he, you know, thought you were being wronged or thought that you were right and it was defending you i mean and i just i think that's incredible um not to bring in a whole nother sport but tony la Russa, the white Sox manager has yeah. recently not been backing up his team because yeah. he believes rules of the sport unspoken rules of the sport were um jeopardized but i mean i think jim harbaugh would be like nope i think differently but i'm gonna back up my dudes so yeah, I think Jim Harbaugh, I think my other, my final honorable mention would just be Trent Baalke being fired just because I was so mad that we chose him over Harbaugh. And I think, I think Harbaugh's where he wants to be. Like, I think he was ready to go back to the college game, but we did him dirty at the end, I think. I don't know if there were, I, I just, I think he deserved a better exit than he had. And I mean, if you want to see how great of a coach he was, look how long it took for the 49ers to rebuild any, now obviously much quicker than, plenty of teams rebuilds but team Thank fell apart John, without harbaugh and it took two or three years and having to fire a general manager bring in a whole new organization a whole new structure the owner completely changing how he viewed his role really all in aftermath to how jim harbaugh left so i think i think that shows a lot about his impact as well and i just as a kid in high middle school and high school seeing that angry face on the sidelines every sunday yep. just i love that guy if i ever meet jim harbaugh that's got to be a top five on my list of celebrities to meet. Big fan. All right, Daniel, let's let's move on to our final uh, section for today's episode. We can kind of roll through these pretty quick, but we've got last week we did the first four games, the 49ers regular season, just kind of predicting where we see it going. I believe we currently have the 49ers sitting at three and one. So that leads us in to our next four games. So we have – First, in the fifth game of the 49ers season, we're taking on the Arizona Cardinals. What do you think about the Arizona Cardinals? Divisional rival. Um, We also play the Arizona Cardinals. It's the fourth game in this chunk of four games. So maybe we just talk about both games at once. How do you see the two Arizona Cardinals games going? Talk about both at once, you said? Yeah, well, let's just talk about the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are... Not the best team. They're probably the worst team in the NFC West, but they've managed to be competitive. They've got an interesting offense. I think they've gotten more talented. And I think Kyler Murray is a top five, top three quarterback in the NFL. And the final note I have before I'll pass it off to you is the thing Kyler Murray scares me because the 49ers have not been good against Kyler Murray the times we've played. The 49ers defense has been excellent for the past two years. The yeah. thing we've been worse at is stopping quarterbacks that can move. And honestly, I think we've been worse at stopping Kyler Murray moving than any other quarterback. He's just been able to dominate us with his legs in the times we've played. And so that scares me. So I think I'm, I'm scared to see what happens when these teams play again, but I am excited to watch the game. I love watching Kyler Murray. What do you think? I, off the top of my head, just based on how these past games are going, I think we're splitting them. I think the Cardinals are going to take one of them, and I think we take the other. What do you think? Um, yeah, I would I would agree that the Cardinals are the worst team in the division, but I would also say that this is the toughest division in football. I think that 
not very, not even like, oh, I think they could. I think every team in this division will be 500 or better. Yeah. I think every, and the Cardinals being the worst. And it's like, how does Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and friends, um, and I don't mean like and friends, like he's got some big friends in this team. I just wasn't going to list the whole roster. Um, hard to believe that that team isn't 500 or better. So I absolutely think that they got a good squad. I could see us splitting the games. Um, I'm having a tough time saying it just because I, th- I think that the Niners could could pull it out. But I also am trying to keep us in reality and know that, you know what, we're a good team, but we're not unstoppable. And we still got some things to figure out ourselves. And as you said, Kyler Murray is, is a weakness of ours. Running yeah. quarterbacks are, but Kyler especially. And God, and I, divisional sure. rivalry games, always they always go funky. No matter what. And I just, the Cardinals have been a thorn in the 49ers side in recent years. But the only other thing to note is Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, has probably played his best games as a 49er against the Cardinals. So I think it'll be a high offense game. And I think, yeah, I'm excited for these games. I think Kyler Murray is one of the most dynamic and exciting to watch players in the NFL. I hate that he's in our division because I really like the guy and it's hard for me to hate him. He's just so fun to watch. But yeah, so I I think we lose one, win one. I think we probably win the first one, probably win week five. And then I think we lose the second one. We'll split them. We'll go through, we'll split them. All right. Perfect. One, two. Next up, we have 49ers take on the Indianapolis Colts. Carson Wentz. Yeah, the Colts. That's that's the big news for the Colts. They traded for Carson Wentz, reuniting him with Frank Reich, who was his offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, the year that until he was injured, Carson Wentz was the MVP. Carson Wentz has obviously not been playing at an MVP level ever since. Uh, the Colts fans are hoping that Frank Reich can get him back to what he was. I think Frank Reich is a top I'm 10 hoping he gets him back to what he was. What? I'm he hoping get... he gets him back to what he was. I am too. Carson Wentz was electric that year, but let's and hope he hasn't Frank done Reich. it by this week. Frank Reich, best backup quarterback of all time. Yeah, well, for sure. And I think he's one of the best. I think he's a great coach. His players seem to love him. He, he just, is. he seems, he seems like a great coach and he, I think he, I think people have slowly realized that he deserved a lot more credit for the Eagles team than he got. And just thinking about like what he and that Colts organization have been through. I mean, they, the Colts had the whole thing with Frank Reich kind of being their second choice after Josh McDaniel screwed him over, um, Andrew Luck retiring. And yet they've managed to be a competitive team, like throughout all of that. I think that's pretty impressive, but I think even if Carson Wentz has taken off DeForest Buckner, former 49ers on that 49er on that defensive line, he's going to want to prove what I'm not going to like that revenge game. No, I think he's going to want to prove the 49ers made a mistake. I think Carson Wentz and I think Frank Reich pull it off. I don't know if they have fully gotten it together by this week. And I even think even if Carson Wentz is at full hype, I think the 49ers gut out a win here. I think DeForest Buckner balls out, but I think, I think the 49ers are a better team. And I think, I think we win regardless of how Wentz is playing. What do you think? I'd agree. I think I'm having a tough time saying we'll beat the Colts as quickly as I did. And then saying we split the games with the Cardinals, but you really do bring up a good point with the running quarterback and specifically Kyler Murray and division games being weird. And it's just such a strong rivalry. So sometimes there's extra, there's extra hype in the game and players really feed into that. I just, weird things have happened the last few times we've played the Cardinals. They've been weird games. And so I just, I have a hard time believing this one, that these two won't be weird, but I agree. I think the Colts will be a better team than the Cardinals this season, but I don't know if they are going to walk out with a win. Okay. Yeah. And finally, 
Yeah. Finally, the 49ers play the Bears the next week. Um, Chicago Bears drafted rookie QB Justin Fields, my maybe favorite quarterback in this draft. Um, Bears, interesting organization. They've had a lot of quarterbacks recently. Andy Dalton is supposed to be their starter. I think Justin Fields has taken over by this point in the season. What do you think, I was think, just going to ask you. I was just yeah, going to ask I, you. Okay, what Bears he's got are we playing? Justin Fields. But he's a rookie. Their coaching is not great. Khalil Mack is phenomenal, but the rest of the team, they're not bad, but they're not they're not incredible. David Montgomery is a good running back. They have some solid options at receiver. Allen Robinson might finally have a good quarterback throwing to him for the first time in his career, which is terrifying. But mm-hmm. I think the 49ers are going to win this game. Um, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I don't know. What do you think? I'm predicting, and this, is, again, as, as we talked about in one of our first episodes, Timmy and I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is not injury-prone. We think that he had some unfortunate injuries and then was rushed back. But just for the sake of the matchup, I'm predicting Jimmy G is down for this game. And Ooh. it is Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Oh, Trey watch. Matchup of their careers. And the 49ers walk away with a W. And I actually think they scrape them. Um, I think that David Montgomery really finished last year strong. But I think that. You know, he usually kind of takes up until the later part of the season, kind of like yeah. a, I'm not comparing him to Der- Derek Henry in any way, but kind of the tendency where it's late in the season is when he truly pops off. I mean, Derek Henry is crazy all year long, but David Montgomery has shown in his first two, two years that he takes a while to, in the season to get heated. And so I don't think he'll be there at this point. Yeah. I think Fred Warner and company will shut him down. And then... Here's my here's my question for you because you just opened up a whole rabbit hole with saying Jimmy's out for this game and I love it. If Jimmy goes down and Trey Lance comes in and wins a game, does Jimmy start another game for the season? Because I don't think he does. I think if Trey Lance comes in and wins a game, I think it's his job for the rest of the season. And I don't know if I think that's going to happen, but I find it hard to believe that if Jimmy goes down, if Trey Lance comes in and we win, I think Trey Lance is the quarterback for the rest of the 49ers season. I think it all depends on how Jimmy is playing up until this point, because if he's doing even mediocre at this point, I do not think Lance stays because if it truly is that easy, like, okay, Jimmy's struggling one game, Lance comes in, wins the game. If it was that easy, like just a one game, Oh, it's time to switch. Then no way would the Niners have held on to Jimmy G this entire off season. No way would they be like, uh, Jimmy's our starter and Lance is going to watch for a while. Granted, they haven't said Lance is watching for the first year, but we know Jimmy's the starter going to the season. Yeah. So I think it truly is – there's a lot of context needed here. It really depends on how Jimmy has done in these few games, their record. If they've won what, – what number is this of a week? One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're playing the Bears in week seven. If they have at least three or four wins at this point – I guess three wins if we're going into week seven, then no, he does not. But if they have like four losses, yes, I think they make the switch. But if they're doing okay, I do not think that one game decides the switch. Okay. Yeah, I think what I see, I just have a hard time thinking that if Kyle Shanahan gets to play with his new toy, that's Trey Lance, He's going to be itching to get him in there no matter what. And if he, if he proves he can win with him, I just can't imagine that he wants to do to win with anyone else. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So after this, we're eight games into the 49ers season. 
We you and I have them at six and two. I think that sounds about right to me. Yeah, they have a an easier start to the schedule than they do a finish, I want to say. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun 49ers season. I think that's the end of our episode today. Um, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Hopefully we didn't break any news that's reversed by the time this gets out. For real. But yeah. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to today's episode of 49ers Unrestricted. Daniel, any any parting thoughts to the listeners? We love you, Niner Nation. We do love you, Niner Nation.